This week on the Boag World Web Show, we talk about building your online personality with Aaron Walters and my two favorite companies in the world are back sponsoring the show. Thanks so much to everyone at Opera and Media Temple. Go and check them out. BoagWorld.com, the podcast for those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name's Paul Boag and joining me as always is Marcus of the Lillingtons. <laughs> yes, of the Lillington clan. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know how much use I'm going to be to you today. Why? What's your <sighs> problem? You're always, goes... You've always got an excuse. <laughs> no, I was on top form last week. I make that up. I've no idea if I was or not. Um... No, I'm, I, I do have an, a genuine excuse this week, other than um, I've got a million things to do and things keep breaking. Um, but anyway, that's by the by. Um, I'm just really tired. I would say, oh, that's, oh. Su- that's not a genuine excuse. <laughs> no, but, well, all right, I'll explain why. Um, I went to see a friend of mine, uh, with, with basically ban, a band friend of mine, um, who lives in Christchurch in Dorset. Mm. Oh, uh, Lovely place, but lovely part of the world is Dorset, isn't it? Just, um, but anyway, he always comes up to us for band practices. There's there's seven of us, so it's kind of fair enough. But we did say, Andy, yeah, all right, we'll come, we'll come down and see you. And this was like in January, and we finally got round to going down and see him last night, at Christchurch. Uh, I was driving, so it wasn't like you know, boozy or anything like that. Um, and then we left here's about half eleven, and basically most of the roads on the way home were closed, including the M3. So I got back in about two two thirty. So, I don't care. I don't so I'm care. A little, little bit. Uh, you should have drunk a Red Bull and got yourself on the show. Oh no, that makes me feel horrible. I don't like Red Bull. Well, don't you? Uh, unless getting, it's got some old. some alcohol with it, then it's different. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's talk about something far more important. Me. Um, I was going to say it's got something to do with you, no doubt. No, it wasn't actually. Yeah, it wasn't what I was going to say at all. I just threw that in at the last minute. Um, <laughs> Have you have you have you encountered Meerkat and Periscope? No. Oh, you're missing out on the new revolution, man. It's all the cool <laughs> kids are doing. Here we go. How long is this going to last with you? Like Paul? thirty seconds. Right. No, <laughs> actually, I think it's quite interesting. It's so. Um, it's kind of. I don't know. It's something that's been around for years. Isn't it funny how things have their moment in time? Do you know what I mean? So, like, essentially. Yeah, yeah. These are two two apps, okay, um, that have come out at pretty much identical time. Um, one is produced, I believe, by Twitter. Periscope is produced by Twitter. The other one, um, Meerkat, is built on Twitter, so it's de- designed to integrate with Twitter. And basically, both of them allow you to stream video of anything, right? So you can just start it and stream to the world, and people can comment on what you're doing and... and engage with you in a lively and interesting manner okay and there's something strangely addictive about it 
I must have spent 20 to 30 minutes yesterday watching Natalie Downs show me her guinea pigs. And that's not a euphemism. <laughs> well, but uh, uh, I don't understand. What, what, why was she showing you the, the guinea well, pigs This in is the, the weird place? thing about it. People are like sh- doing, sh- streaming their drive to work and, uh, and like, you know, their walk along the beach or whatever. See, there was something like this years ago called Quick, but it, it was it was before there was like decent 4G, you know, internet mm. around. So so it never really caught off. But this seems to be going ballistic. It went nuts at, with with Meerkat. It went nuts at South by Southwest. Periscope has just come out um, and seems to have gone nuts as well. And it, it's the in thing. So every now and again, my phone beeps and says one of my friends is is streaming some piece of video. So and rather than saying I'm eating my toast, you can you video, show them you eating. I'm your eating, toast. eating my toast. Yeah. Well, That's this is what's exactly wrong with it. Twitter, isn't it? You can't <laughs> see the interaction of eating the toast. <laughs> I want to see someone chew. Yeah, that that is my dream. <laughs> Then, yeah, and that's it. You can hang your boots up after that's happened. We're done with the internet at yes. that point. Quite. So, no, I, I have to say, it's fine. I've also quite enjoyed doing it as well. I've, I've had a couple of little goes. Um, what, the fir- eating your toast? No, not eating my I've decided to be a bit more interesting by talking, you know. Well, actually, I don't know whether that is more interesting. But like, like the first time I was talking about technology and, and really about how Periscope and, and Meerkat are kind of the next evolution. And it won't be long before we'll be walking around streaming our lives all the time. And what, you know, and then I got into the privacy issues around that. And, stuff. and then the second time I was just talking about happiness and success. And, and it's really good because you kind of you're videoing, but you're chatting with people at the same time and they're commenting back. And yeah. I kind of what quite if, like it. What if no one is watching or commenting back? At the moment, that's not a problem because I think it's all relatively new. So, so like, as soon as you put a video live, everyone jumps on it, you know, because okay. there, are, there are literally, you know, people have downloaded and installed the app, but they don't want to necessarily broadcast. So, at the moment, there's more broadcasters than there are lis- um, listeners, if that makes sense. No, more listeners than They're broadcasters. But eventually that will change, and yeah, you'll be competing for people. At the moment, you see, when I start a Periscope talky thing, it immediately posts that to Twitter. That's the mm. idea. It's integrated with Twitter, you see. So if you've got followers on Twitter, then they're going to come and watch you on the video. But what if they've got something better to do, like anything? But, yeah, but that's the thing, you see. <laughs> people haven't got anything better to do. You know what? I know what happens. You know, you pick your moments. I I did one just before this podcast. Because I know Friday afternoon, nobody's doing anything, are they? You know, you've got... And and also, the other thing with Periscope, I haven't haven't got as into Meerkat simply because it has the ugliest interface of anything ever created ever. Um no offense to the designer that worked on it <laughs> the ugliest the ugliest interface ever no offense yeah <laughs> it, okay let me reword that it is not in line with my personal design aesthetics does that Too sound late. better it, it so, does sound um, better i yeah yeah so uh, what's the same oh yeah yeah so so 
it also it'll rec- you know obviously you're recording it as well so you can then you know it then gets uploaded and people can watch me or watch pe- watch me toast later yeah i mean i get the idea of uh, you know looking at videos that's what youtube is but i'm just not sure that i'm just going to drop everything and start watching someone because they're videoing watch eating their toast i don't know i'm being old-fashioned yeah you are you're just not i can see the kids getting really into this seriously (laughs) right okay i you know i i think it's the future of everything (laughs) i think the internet i think the web web pages they're dead now this is it this is what it's all about yeah okay right now the thing that annoys me the most about the future of the web bearing in mind this is it is that all the videos are in bloody portrait oh right yeah see like i'm yawning i said i I did warn you oh god are you Uh terrible so (laughs) what's gonna happen because this really amuses me we've now got a conflict of culture because on one hand you've got um, all these apps are, and everybody's recording their videos portrait. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they record some major incident, like somebody recorded yesterday on Periscope, you know, a, a, um, a skyscraper collapsing. So it was quite big news, you know, it's like proper yeah. news. And, of course, the video is unusable by mainstream media because it's portrait instead of landscape. Well, that's stupid, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Why did they, who, they would have sat around the table and said, well, well, is it going to be portrait or landscape? And portrait one? Why? Well, because that's how people hold their cameras, isn't it? It's quite an old-fashioned view to say video should be landscape. I actually think it should. It annoys me when it's portrait. But why? I don't know why. Give me a legitimate reason. Uh, Because TVs are that shape, that shit. Well, and and your computer monitor is, and you can turn your phone on its side. If I if I take a a picture, a, you know, still image with my phone, I can do it either. So yeah, I, I'm you vid- should be able to do it either. I agree. I agree with that. Anyway, so yeah, man. There you go. <laughs> so I thought I'd mention it because then it makes like it makes it look like this podcast is topical. Yeah, fair enough. So no, there we go. No, That's why I, I, I will in. go and have a look. Definitely. What you'll want to be watching mine, obviously. <laughs> yes. Me, what are you? Are you know you want to watch me eat toast. I really don't. I'm honest. If I'm re- being completely honest, maybe talk, listen to you talk about happiness. I do. Yeah, talk, talking about happiness and talking about the future of technology. I'm going to talk about productivity as well. I've decided that's going to be my next one. And oh, I learnt a new acronym. Um, M. Um, AMA, I never knew that one. Do you know that one? No. Ask me anything. So apparently after this video, I've got to do an ask me anything session. Sounds wow. dodgy to me. That does think, sound very, very dodgy. You're opening what? a can of worms. Uh, yeah, but now exactly. I've said on the podcast, I have to do it. Otherwise, people will say, whatever happened to your AMA session? <laughs> okay. I well. LOL'd at your AMA session. <laughs> Yes, I, so my brain's not working at all. Just I'm just gonna just giggle along and dribble. I can tell you. You're not really uh, contributing much to the podcast as normal. Oh, had that hurt. You're just a Twisted comedy psychic. Do you remember well back in the day? You remember when Chris Chris Evans was at his height and he was on Radio One, right, in the Breakfast Show. Baby, he used to have yeah. people that I swear he just paid to laugh. That that's all they did. They just sat there and laugh at his jokes. <laughs> 
Like, you me. are that. Yeah. I admit, yeah. Well, today Except you're I not am. paid. Yeah, I was going to say. But I'm, I'm that dribbly today, I didn't even pick up on the fact that I'm not being paid. But what's but even worse is this is a really good advert for Headscape. Hire Headscape and you could get a sleepy Marcus working on your project. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. great, isn't it? Well, I'd put, one, of the, one of the reasons why I'm tired is because I'm so busy working on projects. Oh. Working on preparing for projects at the moment, but that's okay. There we go. So there you go. Yeah. So yes, there we go. Should we talk about talk about our sponsor this week? Yes. We're talking about cool apps. Actually, this is this is a very cool app. Um, this is Opera Coast because you know Opera has been sponsoring it. Yes. Um, and you've you've already downloaded the Opera browser, which is your has become your default browser. And now I'm going to sorry. And it still is. And it still is? Uh, yes. What? Two whole weeks later. <laughs> I know, it's amazing, isn't it? I'm gobsmacked. <laughs> I th- you could be lying, of course. No, I'm not lying at all. It, I suspect it will continue, it will continue to be my, my default browser forever now. Because you're just too lazy to change it. Until, <laughs> like, Chrome sponsored the show or something. <laughs> it's fine, though. It, it, it does the job perfectly well. So I've heard a lot of people, there's a lot of people that listen to this and have actually gone and downloaded it and they've been tweeting about it. And it is extraordinarily fast. Mm-hmm. I thought so, it was just me, but it's really good over my shit internet connection at home. But anyway, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Coast, Opera Coast, right, which is an iOS app. And this really is a really cool... Uh, application right because it, it's just kind of going right screw all the normal things that we think about a browser we're gonna just do it as we want to we're gonna just do it in a totally different way because i mean if you think about it the ui of a browser hasn't really changed in like 20 years you have the no. bar along the top with the address bar and you know you put your stuff in you've got backwards and forwards buttons and home and all that kind of thing it's just not changed really they've hidden a bit more of it and it expands to show the address bar. And, but basically, it's the same. And even on the mobile phones, all they've done is scaled down the desktop version. That's it's true. Not, it's not exactly imaginative thinking, is it? So what these guys have done, which is really weird, because cause like apps, you get such cool apps with cool kind of, you know, touch devices and like swiping and all these kinds of things. And then the browsers are like, I'm stuck in 1994. Mm-hmm. You know, so... so um. What Opera have done is they've recreated the browser as if it's a kind of cool iOS app. So it's got this really clean, simple interface um, that provides a really good browsing experience for a touch device. There's no toolbars, there's no small little buttons, there's no clutter, none of that kind of stuff. And it feels more like an app. And what's really good is when you open it up, your websites, the websites you visit often they feel like apps as well so the websites are presented as like applications open full screen um you know and it's just it's just such a better way of approaching your browser so it's very cool very cool indeed definitely worth downloading obviously because it's opera it's incredibly fast um it's got those gestures in it um which is really cool and it's using the same uh, kind of opera turbo you know, caching woo with stuff, um, and the same Opera Mini technology, but it's completely different interface. So it still does the aggressive caching. It compresses sites and compresses videos, so you don't buffer as much. All that kind of same stuff that we were talking about last week. 
And it, it takes a different approach to security as well. So it basically simplifies the whole security thing of, you know, instead of getting all these different messages, is it secure? Is it private? You know, does it do this? Does it do that? Is it got malware? All that. It just makes that all so much simpler. It works both across the iPhone and the iPad, and it will sync automatically between the two. No setup. It just does stuff. Go go play with it. I the only will. thing I don't like about it is the logo. Oh. <laughs> I don't like their logo. So, so what are you going to do about it, Opera? Yeah, you may be a sponsor on the show, but I don't like your logo. There we go. I've said it. Mm-hmm. Right, next time I see Bruce, who who uh, is um, Bruce Lawson, who we had on the show, I will have a fight with him over the logo. <laughs> that that would be quite funny. You two, <laughs> it would really. It'd be quite pathetic. I think it'd be the worst fight. And let's be honest, Bruce would beat the shit out of me, wouldn't he? I think he might have done once. I'm not sure he would now. You reckon? I don't know. I don't. You reckon know. he's over he the a, hill? Do you? He was he's past punk. his prime. I uh, yeah, so, so hope he's listening to this. <laughs> yes, he was an angry punk once, and I don't know whether he still is. He might be. He, yeah, yeah, you never know. Could happen. Anyway, should we talk about our interview? Talking about who's people. On, who's on pe- this week? People that we've interviewed. Yeah, so Aaron Walters is on this week. Mm-hmm. The director of UX at Mailchimp. Um, so he's also the author of Designing with Emotion. I don't know what that means. Is that you could interpret that two ways, couldn't you? Because it could be designing to add emotion in, which I think is what it is. But I prefer to imagine it as you're designing while crying a lot, yeah, or angry, or angry, angry yeah, really design. kind of stabbing those pixels. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm in a really strange mood. Today. <laughs> Um, he speaks all around the world. Um, he's taught. Uh, he's taught. I didn't know this. He teaches. He's taught design uh, colleges and universities across, like the US and Europe, for nearly a decade. I didn't know he did that. See, and I also didn't know that he um, has provided design guidance to help the White House, the US Department of State, and dozens of science. He worked. He helped the White House. How cool is that? Yeah, that is very cool. He's like grown up proper. Cool, so should we cool see designer. what he's got? Sorry? He's a, yeah, a cool designer. He's got a, a lot of good things to say. He has. So should we hear what he's got to say? And we're talking to him, unsurprisingly, about emotion in design and personality, online personality. So here we go with the interview where I'm not in such a ridiculously strange mood. So, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's really great to have you. Well, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Have you been on the show before? I'm struggling to remember. I have, but it's been a very long time. Well, it's been a couple of years at least, I think. Wow. That's oh, wow, because I can't remember yeah. that at all. Maybe I wasn't paying attention that day. Well, Must have, have been a stellar interview then. <laughs> probably, I probably wasn't on the interview that time. Uh, I don't on- do all of them. To be honest, it's probably more of a reflection of, of Marcus's growing senility, if anything, I think. <laughs> so, I mean, great to have you on the show. And, and you've become this kind of poster boy, or not so much you, but MailChimp, and by extension you, have become this kind of poster boy for creating... Um, brands with real personality and character. Um, and, and, and that's what I want to talk a little bit about today, um, if you don't mind. Um, and all yeah, of the great, good. Yeah, you, it, all of the great stuff you've been doing around kind of brand identity and that kind of stuff. Because no offense meant, 
but when you talk about a newsletter kind of you know email marketing platform it's not the most sexy of products is it really (laughs) it's it's really not um you know, I mean, it's it's one of those things that people need to do it. They need to send emails, and they don't necessarily want to do it. Um, and I, that's probably why, to us, you know, um, creating a really great experience um, is important because we know it's um, it's like the the last thing on a person's to do list, and when yeah. they have to send emails, like they have to send it yesterday, so they're under a little bit of stress. But uh, and it's the way that you've you've managed to strike that balance so well of making an experience like that a um, very easy to do, very straightforward, but at the same time, you've kind of injected some personality and some character and just the occasional little thing that makes you smile and, you know, grabs your attention. So it's that kind of stuff that I want to look at. To start with, from from your perspective and the the work that you've done over the years, what do you feel like the key component is to that you should be considering as you're building your brand online? You know, as as you've worked on the Mailchimp brand over the years, what what do you keep your eye on? If that makes sense. Well, um, I feel like the brands that um, create the best experiences, um, they don't have fears or preconceived um, notions about putting themselves into their work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that for a long time, people have kind of felt like um, when we make things in our professional lives, we have to check ourselves at the door yeah. and we have to be very buttoned up and proper. Um, and, you know, there's certainly a place for that of being, um, creating a very professional brand experience. But I think that you can be professional and not um, be devoid of humanity. Mm. And, you know, I think that if, if you're going to make a really great product, um, making an experience where people just feel like they understand or they, they get a glimpse of the people behind the product um, that makes it a lot more memorable. It certainly makes it a lot more, um, you know, tolerable to tolerate an experience where you might not necessarily want to be doing this work or you don't want to spend, it's not your life's goal to sit in an application for the next two hours. Um, so how do you make that more enjoyable and more tolerable and help people get their work done by making them feel better? Um, and I think a big part of it is just, you know, just being yourself and, and putting yourself into your work. I mean, there's a balance. There strikes me is that there's a bit of a balance to, to strike here. For, for example, the, the MailChimp brand um, is interesting because I've worked with the app for a number of years now. And it, it's kind of evolved over time. Um, as I can, I feel like I'm sensing you finding the sweet spot here between the kind of professionalism, the clean, slick user experience that allows people to do what they want to do with minimal clutter and minimal fuss, and also keeping that element of personality and humor. So, for example, I've noticed that you've become 
a little bit more clean and simple than you used to be. So some of the the little things that used to be in the interface have disappeared. Things like the the Mailchimp's arm popping off, or the the mm-hmm. the little link to a YouTube video, and those kinds of things. Is that what went on there to lead you from where you were to where you are and getting that balance? Yeah, so we've we've run a lot of experiments over the years, and um, early on I was experimenting, and you know there are sometimes where the experiments went well, and sometimes where they didn't go so well. And when it when we were small and a fairly, you know, it wasn't as big a customer base at the time, and it was very U.S. centric. Um, it it be it was a lot easier that you know, a sense of humor was easy to manage and it wouldn't blow up in your face. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you, you, you could kind of take some liberties um, that were a lot of fun for us. And then, you know, we grew a lot and most of our um, customer base is now outside the United States. Um, and so we have to think about cultural scenarios, cultural situations where, you know, American sense of humor doesn't always play well in different places. And it's always fascinated with me that, um, you know, the United States and um, the UK, we're, we're kind of siblings to a certain degree, and yet we're so different with certain cultural things. Mm. Um, you know, there were some, some places where um, humor and informality in certain places did not play very well in the UK. Cool. Can, and you give us an, over the, can you give us an example? Sorry to interrupt yes, you, but that's I'm too, dying to know. Yeah, that's is. too tempting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so it's I, I can't I can't give you like one specific example, but the general perception that we would hear from time to time from people in the UK was um, this is not professional. I'm trying to do business here, and this is not how you do business. So the perception of what's proper and what's not isn't that funny? Um, because sorry to interrupt again, but yeah, I yeah. think that we think the same, the same, but the other way around. We think that Americans are more kind of corporate and uh, worried about sort of professionalism, and we're more fun. Isn't that weird? That is weird because I would have said exactly the same thing, Marcus. And that we've mm. got, you know, because we associate ourselves with that kind of Monty Python, bizarre, off the wall sense yeah. of humour, and yet mm. you, yeah. the feedback you were getting wasn't in line with that. That's interesting. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing is just, you know, a joke that plays well in the U.S. Um, might not play well in the U.K. It's, you know, not that it's ill-placed, but that it's just not as funny because it doesn't um, play to that sense of humor. So, um, you know, the takeaway that, that I learned and I saw a lot of my colleagues learning um, with all of these experiments through the years was that there's, you know, when you are – injecting personality into a professional application that's used by millions of people around the world, there's a lot of complexity and nuance to be considered. Mm -hmm. Um, And so where things are positioned, um, where you go all out, um, it it has to be very carefully considered based on the emotional context. How does the person feel at that moment? And there are so few places where you can actually – make a pretty strong prediction about this is how they feel right now. Mm. Um, and there's sometimes, you know, like if it's a stressful moment where, 
you know, it's an error or something, or, or there's uh, some kind of notification that a server's down. Something is not as it should be. Um, any sort of humor and informality there just exacerbates the situation, just makes people feel um, mistrustful, uh, like they're not being taken seriously, um, and that's just very dangerous. Hmm. And that's that's a lesson that we learned very early on. Um, but for us, you know, Paul, I think that's you you nailed it that we are um, slowly refining and sanding off the edges, trying to figure out how that works. And to some degree, personality comes through just in you know type choices and layout and um, and color. Um, and it and that survives in um, multicultural user base pretty well for the most part. There are some places where you know, color choices communicate, um, differently, but, um, you know, for us, the, there's, um, at the end, after you send an email campaign, um, actually right before you're about to press the send button, which is super scary for people because they've worked on their email for a long time and, you know, they need to get it out, but there's also this fear that, with email, you can't suck it back in. You no. send it, and it's gone. And and if you have a mistake, you know, like um, it's just out there for everyone to see. So uh, the animation, there's there's a sequence of animations. The, the, before you press send, there's um, Freddie's finger over a big red button, <laughs> and he's kind of like sweating, sweat pouring off of his arm onto the button. Um, and then you press send, and afterwards you get this high five animation, and that that's one of those places where we know that emotional context because we are customers. We we use our own product, and we yeah. send to lots of people, and we know that stress. And then we know afterwards that it feels like, man, I just want a cocktail right now because I finally got this thing off my to do list. Mm. Um, and that high five experience, people. Um, it just really resonates with people and connects. And, you know, it's, we spent a lot of time on the animations, but we didn't spend a ton of time, you know, having to think where to place that because we, we knew that's how people felt at the time at, at that point in the, the process. Um, and I feel like now after all these experiments, that's the most powerful experience that we've created. Um, in terms of you know emotional design and personality in the design, um, you know people remember that they yeah. they remember that and they they talk to people about that. I guess I got kind of two follow up questions from that, and I'll I'll do them one at a time to give you a, a chance. It's no. worse <laughs> than being asked two questions at the same time. Uh, the first one is mm-hmm. is how do you test that? How do you uh, establish what is working and what is not? Because we're not talking about you know, it's not a matter of dropout rate or bounce rate or that kind of thing. This is emotional uh, elements and personality and th- those kinds of things. And they're much more abstract concepts. So how do you go about testing whether they're yeah. resonating well? Well, so this kind of goes to uh, – this question speaks to a larger issue that I have with our industry, which is an obsession with numbers and data and – uh, proof, wanting proof, and that proof happens when you quantify and you count things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there certainly could be a process that we could develop where we could go count all of the tweets 
and the the photos posted to um, Instagram and Facebook with you know people actually high fiving their screen, and we see videos of like people high fiving their screen so hard that they knock over their iMac. Um, <laughs> you know, we we see that stuff, but we we don't necessarily need to quantify it to know that that is you know working in air quotes. What does that really mean to to have it work? Because yeah. what's at stake? You've already completed that process there's, there's not much at stake what's um what's at stake uh is really what's what's the perception of mailchimp as a brand and and it, you know the experience inside of the app um and those things are so um they're just impossible to count and and i often i feel like we just get too obsessed with counting everything and there's a place for that to be quantitative but there's also a place to be qualitative Hmm. Um, and that's something that I, I think is just underappreciated. So, it's, so it's, in, in a nut, we, we don't we don't count it. Okay, we don't but, we don't try to quantify. But you do. You say you don't quantify it, but you are still monitoring how people are responding to it through social networks and YouTube videos and all the rest of it. Is that a fair comment? That's fair. Yeah, we see it, and we know that um, people are talking about it, and therefore it struck a chord. Yeah. Um, and, and so if, if we see any comments on it, we wouldn't necessarily think, oh, this isn't working. We need to go kill it. I think we would probably arrive at that, um, decision at some point when we decide, you know, we're changing the design of this workflow and this thing, I don't know if it's terribly critical to keep, but we wouldn't make that decision driven by numbers. Yeah. No, that makes sense. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that brings me on to the, the kind of second part of this is that as you've kind of gone on you know uh and you've moved out of the u.s market and you've you know you've become more of a grown-up company for want of a better word do you feel that you've lost something in personality by having to do some of these kind of trade-offs or do you think you've just grown up if that makes sense i don't i don't feel like we have lost anything i feel like we've done a lot of experiments and um you know what it what it seems like from our perspective um is that the brand perception today is is still quite strong and maybe stronger than it has been in the past um and it's i i would say that you know and how do we know that um we we travel and visit customers a lot um Last year, we traveled something like 100,000 miles to three different continents to talk to customers in person. Okay. And, of course, we do, like, you know, surveys, and um, you don't necessarily uh, learn a ton about brand perception from a survey. You can get some some hints. But, you know, talking to um, lots of different customers in person, you, you do start to get a feel for how people perceive the brand we experiment with, you know, making toys and um, giving away a lot of interesting things um, to customers because, um, one, it's fun for us to make, and two, we know that that stuff, even though it's not quantifiable, um, we want to treat our customers well. We want them to always feel like we are going out of our way above and beyond to listen and treat them well because that's the way that we want to be treated um, so there's a bit, of, a bit of the golden rule in how we design things um, and how, you know, our approach to marketing um, mm. as well. So I, the, the notion that we've grown up and we've had to leave a lot of things behind, 
um, certainly doesn't ring true, true for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it's, it's interesting that you talk about, um, you know, the, the kind of the soft toys that you've made and the, you know, the, all the other kind of offline bits and bobs that you do. I mean, it's interesting. I, when I record videos now, which I, I do a lot, one of your little MailChimp figures sits on my shelf and is in every single video that I ever send out. So, and I'm always getting comments, oh, what's that? Where did you get it from? So, you know, it obviously <laughs> works to some degree. But I'm interested is whether That's you great. are whether you approach your online and offline brands slightly differently. So for example, I get the sense from looking at your app compared to some of the offline marketing stuff that you do, that maybe you're a little bit more risky or more brave offline than you are on online. So the, the classic example that just makes me laugh every time I see it is the I think it was your 2012 annual report where you see, um, you know, Freddie with his, his Freddie being your mascot with his back to the, the camera and his bum cheeks hanging out. You know, I don't yeah. imagine you doing that <laughs> online in your app, but you seem to do it offline. So is there a difference in your mind? I think so. And that's, um, I think that's the nuance that we've become more attuned to over the years. It's just, um, you know, the emotional context and we want to help people be successful and productive and we don't want to do anything to get in the way of that. And so, you know, if it's an annual report or it's a billboard or it's a fun toy, um, you can pretty much go wild and do anything you want because the stakes are so low there. In fact, um, you know, the stakes that are high are, is this, fun and interesting and meaningful like um do i keep this this vinyl toy on my shelf yeah um it's it's got to be kind of cool right um in in order for you to desire that object and want to keep it around um but in the app we certainly need to be very productive and focused and it can feel like a consumer experience and that's that's probably you know speaks to our design ethos best is that you know there's um, people are um, very um, familiar with a great app experience because consumers are connected to devices. So many people have mobile devices and they're downloading a lot of apps and they're experiencing software um, in lots of different situations and it, they know that it can be good and it can be great and it can be fun and then they go to work and it is oppressive and it's um, mm. complicated and it's painful because they didn't make the buying decision someone else made the buying decision for them yeah and our philosophy in software design is that um well one you know it's it's a free app that you can use to you know to send to a lot of people um and so you can make that buying experience for yourself, that, that decision, um, without having to talk to the CTO or the CIO or whoever controls the budget. Um, and you can try something out on your own. So bring your own software to work experience. Um, and so we need to um, design software that works for the consumer, not for an external third-party buyer um, who's going to be consulting a checklist of features like like a CTO. Mm. Um, and so 
you know, making things usable and productive and efficient are really important to us for anyone to be able to figure out. And we, um, one of our co-founders has often said, you know, you need to have beer can usability. You should be able to use the app while you've got a beer in the other hand, <laughs> uh, which, you know, it's, it's a good picture to have in your head when you're designing something. How, how easy is this to use? Can I drink a beer and, and get this done? Um, so we focus, we focus on the end user, not the buyer. Yeah, I, and I think that's a very wise decision in, in most situations these days because, you know, increasingly people are expecting the same kind of quality from their enterprise apps as they're, they're, they're getting from their consumer apps. And I think it could be hugely detrimental to the user experience, but also to the, to the chance of something being purchased. It's almost like, you know, when, you know, toys are advertised at the kids and the kids pressure the parents into buying the toys. It's almost that scenario that increasingly <laughs> employees these days are pressuring their CTOs, are pressuring their procurement departments or whoever else to, to purchase apps that are user-friendly. So it's a very, very smart move. I like it a lot. I mean, that brings us yeah. on, on to um, the, the kind of area of professionalism. Um, and I think that, and, and that relationship between personality and professionalism and how the two kind of sit side by side, I think many brands kind of avoid, um, you know, humor or personality for fear of misjudging it and for fear of, of overstepping the line in some kind of way. And as a result, yeah. they, they end up producing stuff that is very bland and very unmemorable and nobody really cares. So what advice would you give organizations like that? Or more particularly, web designers trying to convince bosses to enable, you know, to allow some of that kind of humor and personality into, into their brand online? Well, I think there are a lot of people that are skeptics, um, um, they're skeptics because, again, they're looking at, at the numbers and how do we quantify this. And um, they're thinking only about the practical things in life. Um, but there's so many things that we buy based on emotion, not based on uh, a practical decision. You know, a lot of fashion is driven not by the cerebral cortex that we choose something because it's, you know, rain resistant there there are times where we do buy something because it's rain resistant but there are a lot of times where we buy something because it just feels good like it just that looks kind of good I, I like that color what what does that mean how do we quantify that well you don't that's just an emotional response um so i think part of part of the the challenge if you're dealing with a skeptic is um making them aware of how much of human decisions is driven by emotion, not by logic. We yeah. are more, we are more Kirk than we are Spock, <laughs> and we like to think that we are very logical and everything. Um, all of our decision happens in our, our decisions happen in our cerebral cortex, but it's just not not what happens day to day. So, and in terms of you know convincing people to try out a bit of personality in you know your work, I. I advise starting small because you know we took a lot of liberties and experimented with a lot of things over the years and um part of that was just the adventurer experimenters uh, the, that that side of us but i think with a lot of people they don't get to start so with 
um, the throttle wide open. Um, and they need to start with very small things and see how they perform. They actually do have to think about some kind of quantification. So tiny experiments that are precision placed where people are most stressed out, where they are most um, dissatisfied. Um, you know, if you've got a place in the app where it's very confusing, you need to have a strong base of just make it usable first, and then you can enhance it with sure. some additional personality. Um, but small experiments are the way that you convince um, a, a stakeholder or a boss because um, chances are you can probably do those small experiments without having to ask for permission. And then you can look at those and you can measure and then present your findings. Um, doing a little bit of research on your own about psychology and how the brain works, I think that can't hurt either, that that can bolster, um, you know, give, give you some support when you're trying to make the case mm. uh, for trying some stuff out. Um, I mean, let's face it, what's the most valuable company on the planet? It's Apple. And, um, I mean, by a long shot, they just posted something like $74 billion <laughs> in quarterly profit, which is uh, a new record. And how is that, how's that, how does that happen? I mean, their objects are just desire driven. People desire them. Hmm. Um, there's some logic there, but for the most part, people just want them because they make them feel good. Hmm. So there's clear precedence for how emotional design um, is used to sell products and to make a company successful, to make a brand very successful. Um, People just need to spend a little time doing a little research, I think. It's mm, interesting. <laughs> I've been writing about that, um, exactly that recently. Um, I, I also dropped out for about 10 minutes, guys. I don't know if you, if, if you noticed me, if you missed me at all. Um, my internet <laughs> failed. <laughs> yeah, poor me. But I wanted, to, I, I wanted to kind of just say something. You may have covered this when I was away, but probably not. But I'm both encouraged, encouraged and depressed by this conversation. <laughs> Why are you depressed? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm encouraged because, you know, MailChimp is this shining example of the stuff that I've been talking about um, quite a lot lately, which is I keep seeing really bland character characterless design. Um, I think there are various reasons why that's the case. Um, but, yeah, MailChimp is a shining example of what you can do and how it can improve um you know improve improve the success of what you're doing and and i i i referenced apple as kind of the pinnacle of that as well uh, i'm depressed because of you mentioned earlier about the complexity and the nuance of getting this kind of thing right uh and that makes me concerned that people are less likely to do it when they should be doing it so that was just i just wanted to add that in absolutely i i appreciate that I, I, but I don't think that it's insurmountable. I, I, I feel like people can figure this stuff out if they just give themselves the permission to try. Yeah. Um, you know, have a conversation, reflect a little bit. It's not, it's not rocket science. Um, just reflect a bit about how people use your app. Have some conversations with a few customers and start small. It's not insurmountable if you just try a few things. And, you know, how we get to greatness is step by step, right? It's kind of cliche, but I, I think it's true. And it's definitely something I've seen um, over the years as we've experimented and tried things, as we just, you know, try things out. And um, with emotional design things, too, there's, there's a shelf life. 
And so something that worked really well, sometimes you just have to um, call it done and like just kill it um, mm. and, and try something new, which is a lot more fun for a designer instead of sticking to the same old thing, right? Yeah. It's a couple of times in this you've talked about permission. You talked about, you know, that it's easier to get permission to start small. It's, you know, you need to give yourself permission to do this kind of stuff. Uh, that reminds me of a, a very well-known story that came out of MailChimp about um, your CEO, Ben Chestnut. That's right, isn't it? It's Ben Chestnut. Have I got that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And about how um, one day he came into the office and discovered that the organization had a new strap line. And uh, you and um, a few of your colleagues had decided to do this without really talking to him. um, And he had to come to terms with that. That kind of leads me to the how how important it is to to have management that support you to do this kind of stuff. You know, do you think it's particularly hard to do? If you're in isolation, trying to do it alone, do you need kind of buy-in from the top to to kind of make these kind of steps? I think that having buy-in from management, you know, it's it's the it's the same case with almost anything. I think in our industry, it, it certainly makes things a whole lot easier. And for us, um, Ben and Dan, our co-founders, are um, they're believers in chaos in um, <laughs> That from from chaos comes that's that's where creativity happens, um, and then when you apply that creativity to some practical output, that's innovation, um, and that's how we get to innovation is by allowing the chaos to exist and allowing for failures and um, successes. And I know I know that Silicon Valley likes to celebrate failure, um, and to some degree that's that's an okay thing. I think that. The language should be not about celebrating failure, but celebrating experimentation mm-hmm. and being okay, knowing that experiments um, ultimately lead uh, a culture of experimentation ultimately leads to a culture of innovation. Um, and that's really how things are driven here. And I realize that that is not the same in every company, that a lot of times there's a lot of convincing and conjoling that, that happens with the, the boss man uh, or woman. But, um, you know, there are, there's, there's some latitude to be taken um, even on your own, I feel like. You know, if you're working in a large organization, small experiments um, and measuring and uh, doing a bit of research to be able to make a case for why personality and emotional design is powerful and meaningful. Um, you know, people do... Um, have successes with that. In fact, the the last chapter of my book has a lot of stats in it, numbers, because I knew that people had to go to their boss and, and do some convincing. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that working on your own, if you're a freelancer, there's an opportunity to try this stuff out pretty easily because you don't have to, you might have to wait for the permission less. And sometimes you'll be surprised that you're waiting for the permission and you really didn't need it. You could have just tried it and then yeah. refocused, um, you know, if things didn't work out. I feel like that's a metaphor for life, right? You know, yeah. like we're all kind of like waiting for permission for what we want to do in our life. Um, and it's, you know, easier said than done to just, you know, 
take action. But um, I really feel like that's kind of how things happen. You just take action and instead of waiting for that permission. Absolutely. But is it, is it Grace, Grace Hooper or Grace Hopper? I can't remember which it is that said um, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. And I just that that has become a bit of a mantra for me. Let's, let's do stuff and then worry about the consequences later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as he as he gives I mean, the matches to his son like to go and play with. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so uh, I've yeah. got one one last question um, to wrap us up, which is. Um, in this this whole, so we're, we're trying to enthuse people to, you know, to experiment more, to maybe push their their brand and their personality more than maybe that um, they their natural inclinations would would lead them to, and and that's all great stuff. But I just want to ask at the end: is there there kind of certain dangers that people need to be particularly aware of when going through this process? You know, are there there common Falls that that you maybe that you've experienced to wish you'd known at the beginning of all of this. Certainly, I mean, um, going too far too fast is one of those pitfalls. Um, that you know, you get so excited and you just sort of drip the syrup and honey all over your interface to the point mm. where it's like at every turn there's something clever and witty and you know, you got to leave some empty spaces, right? Um, some, some places where it's not clever and witty, that's just functional and and practical. So balance is an important thing to be found. Um, and consistency is another challenge. And I tried to address that, um, for us a while back by creating something called a design persona that helps you, um, identify this is the personality of our brand. Mm-hmm. This is how it speaks, um, the types of language and traits and so forth and the philosophies. Um, and having that as a, a guide early on, even if it's not, um, for us, it took us a, a, a number of like maybe two or three years before we got to that point. We had to kind of experiment and have enough experiences under our belt to say, okay, these are the things that are in bounds and these are the things that are out of bounds. Mm. Um, but knowing where you draw the, the boundaries is really important because if you have an organization that grows, you have more people that come in and take liberties with that personality in a way where it can really take it in a direction that is, uh, you didn't intend. Mm. Um, and it can be in subtle ways, just like the, the writing, the copy inside of the, the, you know, your website or, you know, the app or something like that, blog posts, whatever. Um, a while back, um, Kate Kiefer Lee, who's, um, heads up content here, um, created a really great guide for us called voiceandtone.com. Um, and that's been helpful for us. I don't know that everyone needs to create that, but if you're in a large organization where there are lots of different people writing and contributing, um, going through that exercise to help you establish um, the boundaries is important. And I find just the process of going through that helps you get clarity on what it is you're trying to achieve. Mm. I mm. think that's incredibly important. We do have this tendency to, you know, it's, it's almost like when I was at art college, I'd always come up with the final idea and then I'd go back through and, and create the justification for it afterwards because I, I, I wanted to get on with doing the cool stuff. But that's such a mistake. And I think we, we still 
fall into that sometimes as professional designers that we're so busy creating final deliverables, doing all this cool stuff that we haven't got, we haven't created a framework or a structure within which to operate. And so you lose control over your own brand. So yeah, I can totally see where you're coming from. Thank you so much. That was absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating area and there's, um, you know, so much more we could talk about. Where can people find out about you and your book and all of that kind of good stuff? Well, they find my book on a book mm-hmm. Um, it's the purple book, uh, short. It's a, it's uh, designed to be a book that you can read on a flight from Boston to Chicago. So, um, Are you yeah, only allowed pretty, to read it? Are you yeah. only allowed to read it on that flight? Can you read it on other flights too? Just checking. You, you can read it on other flights as well. Okay. It, would, it would work. Maybe okay. from London to Paris or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that Maybe that's, a, that's only forty-five minutes. Surely it's not that short a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit further. Maybe a little yeah. further. But. Um, and then if if you want to learn more about me, um, I'm just AaronWalter.com. The only trick is uh, my dad misspelled my name at the hospital, and it's A-A-R-R-O-N-A-A-R-R-AaronWalter.com. Do you know, I'd never realized that, that it was double. I've just corrected my show notes, so I get it right when I put it on the website. (laughs) Well, don't feel bad. People have been misspelling my name all my life, including the first time it was written down. (laughs) that's absolutely brilliant i love it thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, hopefully it won't be too long before we meet each other again at some conference or other but for now thanks thank you so great to talk to you guys take care so that was the amazing aaron walters that makes him sound like some kind of superhero doesn't it (laughs) the amazing aaron walters he's going to be in the next (laughs) avengers film i'm looking forward to seeing that What's his superpower? Um, he can make people cry. Oh. Or he can make them it, happy. I don't know. Which way are we going to go with this? Because it's emotional. Yeah. See what I did there? It's clever. Yeah. <laughs> Move on. Okay. Sponsor. <laughs> that, that'll make me be sensible, surely. Right. Sponsor. Um, so we've talked about opera. Let's talk about Media Temple. Media Temple are continuing to sponsor the, the podcast. And, and I do, I really, they're really nice. They're really nice, great bunch of people. Um, this week's research on my behalf to find something to talk about how great they are um, has led me to Verb, V-I-R-B, which is their web. That's not how you spell verb. I know, honestly. Do you think we ought to tell them? <laughs> we could possibly get them together with Opera and they could build a, a badly worded um, uh, application <laughs> with, with, uh, with a terrible icon. Yeah, this is how to big up your sponsors. Yeah, criticise their spelling. So that's Verb. <laughs> so Verb is their kind of website builder tool. So if you're listening to this and you're maybe, you know, I know a lot of people that listen to this are marketing people or they're not, they're not kind of, you know, hands-on web kind of in the guts kind of build it kind of people if that's you then and you want to put together a quick blog or an event site or something quick and dirty um you know not that dirty actually actually quite nice but you know quick and easy to create then check out verb um for media temple there's loads of customizable themes that you can use they've got unlimited uh pages um, you can create it's going to be mobile friendly obviously it's all going to be hosted and included in it all in one big bundle and here's the thing i like uh, this is the tech in me coming out or the the kind of um 
perfectionist. They're, the templates that they use are semantically built HTML5 templates, unlike some other people I could mention, Squarespace, that produce the worst code in the world, Squarespace. I can't even say the name. <laughs> so Squarespace. I really I really like that. In other words... What Future I, sponsor, Squarespace. Yeah, we, we're, they're not a sponsor, so I can be rude about it. <laughs> So, what that means, if you don't know what it means to have a semantically built HTML5 template, one is it will probably make it much easier to upgrade the look and feel of your site at a later date. Two, it will help with your things like search engine rankings and stuff like that. Three, it stops me getting irritated at your source code. So there we go. Um, integrates really well into social media um, te- you know, systems and that kind of stuff. It's quick and easy to set up. And then, of course, you've got that brilliant um, media temple support that I like so much. I like calling them just to sometimes I get this just urge to say hello. Well, sometimes <laughs> I get this urge to call them with something a really trivial, obvious problem to see whether I can get them angry or not. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I I I I clicked on the e on my desktop. And it didn't go to my website, and it went to something called Google instead. You know, something like that. You really did do that, didn't you? No, I didn't. But I ought to. Now, by the way, disclaimer. Don't do this at home, kids. You're just going to annoy them. Anyway. So you can get a special discount for being a Boag World listener. Use the promo code BOAG, B-O-A-G, for 25% off your web hosting. Go to mediatemple.net. And enter the promo code upon sign off. Up. Sign off. Sign up. Sign, sign up. something. Up. Up. Marcus, give us a joke. Okay. And um, try not to sound like you're going to fall asleep in the middle of it. <laughs> oh, I've lost it. I've lost it. Oh, there it is. I'm, fortunately, I found the list of the 21 best jokes told last year. And I didn't tell them all. So I've still, I've, I have a source. This was by a guy called Will Marsh, who I have to admit I don't know who he is. But anyway, <coughs> excuse me. I was raised as an only child, which really annoyed my sister. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really funny. <laughs> and here's one from Rob Orton, who also I don't know. So these are young people, aren't they? Young people. Yes, we don't listen um, to young and upcoming people. I heard a rumour that Cadbury is bringing out an oriental chocolate bar. But it could be a Chinese whisper. <laughs> UK joke there Whisper is a chocolate bar Yes, very good Well done people um, Right, yes So that's it for this week Next week Mark Bolton Is going to be on the show um, Talking about typography So that'll be good Looking forward to that But until then Have a good one Bye Oh,